I thought you had frozen. You're just so photogenic <laughs> and you're sitting so still. So I put well, a little, I'll put a little decor up there. <laughs> Hello, I'm Annette, and thank you for listening to my podcast. Today, I'm excited to visit with my friend and the CEO and president of the North Texas Food Bank, Tricia Cunningham. Tricia, thank you, and welcome to my podcast. Annette, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, Tricia, we've known each other for a while. Uh, Let's let's. Let me let you introduce yourself to the listeners, and then we'll talk about that just a little bit and move into uh, some real meat. Well, Annette, uh, I tell you, I never thought that I would be the head of a food bank, but it's really a very interesting story. Back whenever I was in college, one of the things I did whenever I was trying to sort of make money to make sure I could cover my expenses in college was I did work and I ended up getting a job on campus, a staff job that was part-time that was the administrative assistant for the American Humanics Department which now has changed names to the Nonprofit Leadership Program. So it basically trained students. It was a brand new program on campus. It trained students how to become executives in nonprofit organizations. I typed the internship guide for that program. I went to school for a computer degree. And so I had a computer information systems with a business background. And so basically software engineering And I went to work for Texas Instruments, but more in the marketing and communications areas whenever I was there. Had a wonderful history at TI for 30 years. As you know, we met through one of the training programs that they put me through for leadership development, leadership women. And, uh, you know, I just had a wonderful opportunity there. But my last job was chief citizenship officer. And I got to see globally what the needs were in the community. And I just felt like I had been so blessed to have the opportunities that I'd had that I really wanted to do something to give back. And what could I do in this next season of my career? There was nothing really else at TI that I wanted to do after having five jobs there. If I ever wanted to do something after 30 years, it seemed like that was the time to do it. So I decided, you know, about a year before I left that I told my management that it was going to be my plan to leave and and, uh, didn't know what it was going to be, but it was going to be something that would help lift the community up. And it could have been on the corporate side. It could have been on the nonprofit side. But um, the food bank is what ended up being the, the right opportunity for me. And the timing, again, it was one of those things where there was a very beloved CEO, actually a, another leadership women graduate. Awesome. And she um, had unfortunately gotten a terminal cancer situation and she knew she was going to need to step down as CEO. And the month of my graduation party from TI in December of 2016, it was that same week that she announced that she was going to be stepping down as CEO. And she, unfortunately, she passed in January, the, the next January, just right after that. And so I came on as the CEO of the food bank in July of 2017. And I'm using every bit of knowledge and expertise and skills that I've ever acquired along the way in this position. Wow. Well, you and I do know each other because of Leadership Women. We took a Leadership International uh, travel trip together uh, to India, which was wonderful, and it was fun to get to know you then. I might have known you already a little bit, but definitely uh, we got to know each other there. And uh, and that was some of your global exposure, I know. 
Well, and so, so just think back to when we were in India. You can remember seeing those children that were begging on the street. Right. Because they didn't have access to food and what they would do. But what, what we noticed in America at that time was you didn't really see hunger like that. And so you fast forward to COVID today, and guess what? Hunger in America is very visible today. Well, and that's that's why we're here today, is to talk about the challenges that your organization meets, the challenges that we all have in our communities. I will definitely put links to your food bank and to our local food bank, the High Plains Food Bank up here in Amarillo, uh, because the needs have grown. Uh, For folks who didn't see it, there have been a number of news articles really highlighting the services your organization provided pre-Thanksgiving 2020. And back up a year to 2019, you were you were there Thanksgiving 17, 18, 19, and then 2020. How were 17, 18, and 19 compared to the year 2020? You know, we always have greater needs during the holidays. We have people that are trying to make ends meet for their family. They want to provide, you know, a Thanksgiving dinner. They want to provide presents for their children. Uh, But, you know, they know that it may be modest, but they also need to make sure that they have food on the table. And oftentimes people have less income, it seems like, during the holidays. Maybe their, their work is shut down or maybe they just don't have the opportunity to bring in as much or they just have extra bills at the end of the year. And we've always seen that need, but you know, you, you, there is no way to compare what we had done the prior three years with what we had done this year. I mean, we've increased our distribution by there in a, a few weeks of time, almost double. And we're seeing that trend continue because as people's resources are draining down, they're having to figure out, so what do I do now? And they're looking at losing additional benefits from the government that would directly impact their families. And so we have seen more people during this holiday season need access to food assistance because they're just unsure what their future is going to hold right now. Uh, We fed in one day, just to sort of give you a little bit of comparison here, at the distribution we recently did uh, at the Fair Park down in Dallas, we fed about 25,000 people, over 600,000 pounds of food in one day. They literally started lining up overnight and slept in their cars so that they could make sure that they were going to be early enough in line to be able to access food for their families. I'm telling you, you don't do that for a box of food unless you need it. We had people that were turning their cars off in line because they were almost out of gas And they were afraid that if they left their engines running while they were in line, that they wouldn't have enough gas to get through the line. You know, we we had a a veteran who had lost his home where he lived in East Texas because he he had recently been unemployed. He tried to get other employment. He actually had a fever at the place where he had sort of had temporary employment. They would not allow him uh, to get any you know, benefits while he was off with the fever and his doctor would not release him to go back to work. And so they eventually let him go. And so he had no income. So he and his wife had to move to the Dallas area. His wife had a heart condition and wasn't able to work. And they're living in an apartment in Dallas. And first time they've ever needed assistance, said, I've volunteered at the food bank before. 
So 40% of the people that we're seeing today have never needed assistance before. And wow. the, the food insecurity needs are at an all-time high. About 900,000 people, and we serve 13 counties in North Texas, so Dallas all the way up to the Oklahoma border, a couple of counties down south of Dallas, and then out east a little bit. So we serve urban, suburban, and rural, rural hunger, but we've never seen hunger like this before. Wow. And so that 600,000 pounds that we distributed in that one day, the very first year of the food bank back in 1982, they distributed 400,000 pounds for that year. Wow. So the need has has grown. The capacity of the organization right. certainly has grown. And your annual budget is? We, uh, we're about a $200 million operation overall. And so that includes the, the food value of resources as well as uh, public support and donations as well. And if the listeners want to help either your organization or their local food bank, what do you recommend? I mean, I know people can drop off cans of food and things like that at certain places, but my understanding is you can do more with a dollar than I can do with a dollar. You know, absolutely. And I would think food banks across the country right now, that's what they need. They need funds because most of us are kitting food, which requires very specific types of items to go in pre-kitted boxes so that we can safely distribute those to the families that need it. And so you're, you're looking at low-sodium vegetables, fruit in its own juice, canned meats, rice, beans. And we have a nutrition, nutritionally balanced food supply that's shelf-stable. And then we supplement that with produce, with protein, frozen proteins, and some other things that we can try to make sure that that family has what they need. But we're buying in bulk. So we, we are buying additional an additional 90 truckloads per month to be able of semi truckloads per month of product just so that we can meet the, the needs of COVID overall. And so that's sort of the need. And so if we have those funds, it's easier for us to buy that bulk. Then when it comes in, we know what the date is. We know the quality of the product. We don't have to have volunteer labor, which basically went away whenever the food bank, whenever the crisis hit and so many people were afraid to volunteer. We relied on 40,000 volunteers a year to help us. And many of them went away. And so it reduces our labor to have to sort product through canned food drives. We love donated food like that. But it, it ended up, it's, it's about, um, you know, seven, eight percent of what our total food that we distribute was. So right now, the best thing is to, number one, make a, a financial contribution it, it, at our food bank, it's ntfb.org. Also there at that location, you can, you can volunteer. We have opportunities for people to volunteer, especially at these mobile distributions that are outside and we put food in the, directly in the trunks so you don't interact with people. And then we also have opportunities inside our warehouse as well. And I know many of the food banks across Texas and across the country, that's exactly the same kind of things we need. We can make that dollar really go further. Wow. Well, first, let me say thank you to you and your dedication and your group's uh, dedication to really serve the needs and and to ramp up to meet the needs. Uh, You didn't have to do that, but certainly that's your mission and your your passion to do that. So thank you. And thanks to your team for that. 
Well, thank you. And I know one thing, Annette, that your, you know, your podcast is on education. And one of the things that we do is we actually work with a lot of educational organizations um, here in our 13 counties. We distribute, you know, anywhere between 12 and 15,000 backpacks per week, which is basically food and a little grocery bag that goes to students who may not have access to food on the weekends. So many of the school districts are continuing to provide the meals that they get through governance subsidies for their school lunch program. They're still providing those, their breakfast and lunches to the families that can come and pick them up, but they still may not have access to food on the weekend. And so we still work with the school districts to make sure that they can get access to some of that food for students, because we do know there is a very direct correlation to being able to have access to nutritious food and being food secure and being able to achieve academically. And that goes all the way from the first time you set your foot in the door of a school all the way through higher education. And so we're working with many different kinds of schools to try to provide access to students and their families through school pantry programs um, to, to those families so they can make sure that they can achieve. Well, that's wonderful. We have the Snack Pack for Kids program here that's not unique to here, but uh, but it's certainly a, a large part of our panhandle culture. And the food giveaways, not only for our students, but have evolved into giving away for communities. And one thing they don't do is, and I don't think you do, is they don't ask. They don't say, prove your need. They just say, you drove through this line. Here you go. And I think they say... If you need more, go back and get in line again. And if we still have some, they'll give to you. Do you do any kind of a screening ahead of time for your, your recipients? So at the at the school level, the all that data is managed by the schools. We sure. Don't even no, I'm talking about the cars in line. But, so in general, it depends. So if we are using government food, they do have restrictions on the food. Right now, it's a reduced intake form. You don't have to have any identification. They've just extended that through March. So we can use the reduced intake form through March and they can sign up with their household and they just self-declare what their income is. And then we're just able to provide them with access to the food with that. If we don't use government food in those distributions, then, you know, we can distribute to anyone we want. But we do have, we do try to make sure that we, we do share the love and hope, so to speak, to try to make sure that we are able to serve families equitably. Because there, there are oftentimes, even though we may have you know, serve 25,000 people or so many, you know, 8,000 households or whatever it may be. Um, it's really hard sometimes for some of those people that are at the end of the line to be able to, to get access to that food. We run out sometimes just because it's hard to predict what the demand is. You kind of went there because my next question was going to be about partnerships. You mentioned the schools. You may or may not know I'm on the Hope Center board with Dr. Sarah Goldrick-Robb, whose focus is on food and housing and secure college students. Do you partner with some of your community colleges and four-year institutions there? Yes, we do. Uh, most all of the of the higher education institutions we partner with. But I, I really do love to talk about the partnership with Dallas College Whenever I first came onto the food bank, I had a relationship with the college because we had invested in STEM education whenever I was at TI. But I joined in July. We had our first mobile pantry distribution at one of the Dallas College campuses. They have seven campuses. And um, Dr. Joe May was there at the time. And he just said, Tricia, how can I get this at all of my campuses? 
I've just done a study and most of my students are food insecure and we need to help them so that that way they can stay in school and get their education. And I said, well, let's talk about it. Let's see what we can do. And so I'll fast forward. We ended up with a three-pronged solution. Uh, number one was they, through their foundation and through um, the school district itself, they were able to help us fund a, another mobile pantry truck so that we could service each of their campuses as well as expand our reach in other communities as well. So we had the mobile pantry truck that could come there with refrigerated product. Number two, we were able to work with all their campuses to try to help them to set up their own dry food pantry. They may not have refrigerated access there, but they at least had an, an option where they could stock food so that students could come on campus to be able to access food when they needed it. And most of it was, was student run. So many of the volunteers there were run by students and many of them needed to access the food pantry themselves. And then the third way is through the state, there is access to SNAP benefits. Many of the same students that would apply for financial aid would also use that same kind of information and be able to apply for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. If they're over 18 and they're living on their own, something that they could apply for. And so financial aid counselors, we were able to help train them and we're continuing that training so that they could identify students that might qualify for that additional food benefit as well. So they could go to the grocery store with a debit card and use that to help offset some of their costs. It is supplemental, doesn't cover everything, but it helps, you know, for, for $20, a, a college student can buy quite a bit of food to be able to, to help them to sustain their, their normal living through that. Well, and I know uh, Dr. Goldergrob is working with Dallas County Community Colleges through their Edquity app for emergency financial aid. Uh, so, so that, you know, helps benefit as well. And Joe is, is great. Uh, Dr. Joe Mays there. Um, so I know that they've really been working on growing their, uh, meeting the needs of their, of their students and, yeah, and most and they just, people. Yeah. They just rebranded to Dallas college. So oh, did they? you may okay. not, you may not be aware that. of that. Yeah, within the past few months, they rebranded to Dallas College. Oh, well, I'm, I'm okay. Well, I they have some four year programs now. So. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. I understand that now. So um, it's ever evolving. I know, system, right? Isn't it? It's yeah. exciting, though, to be able but to see is. some of the advancement there. It is. It's such an affordable way for students to be able to get an education. And if we can reduce all these barriers like food insecurity and some of the things to make sure that they can then utilize and stay in school and be successful, then, you know, hunger is a symptom of poverty. And our core competency is getting food. But at the end of the day, we want to have less hungry people. And by being able to provide food into this situation for education so that these students, 10 years from now, they're not going to be in the food line. They're going to be in a living wage job, and they're going to be able to help break that cycle of poverty for their families. And so that's why I just, I love the partnership with education organizations, just because I believe the long-term return on the social investment there is, is going to be huge for us. Oh, absolutely. And I do believe that uh, local colleges, community colleges, uh, in addition to the f local four years, are going to be so huge in bringing us back into a viable economy for so many individuals and for our communities. So thank you for working with them. And a lot of people, 
don't recognize the amount of poverty that we actually do have in our communities. That's something I've been working on for quite some time. Certainly uh, you are now. And at the food bank, just just talk about the level of poverty. I mean, not just food insecurity, but just poverty in general in your community or region. Well, you know, poverty and food insecurity often go hand in hand. They're, you know, they're mutually exclusive because there are some people that are in poverty that they may not need food access. They may be able to actually make it uh, on some of their, but, you know, food insecurity there. What, what I can tell you, I am most familiar with more of the statistics on the food insecurity side, but I can tell you that we're at the highest level of food insecurity that our community has ever seen. One in five individuals are food insecure right now, about 900,000 people in the 13 counties that we serve. And that includes one in four children. So about 380,000 children in our community don't know if they're gonna have dinner on their table tonight. And that's just pretty eye-opening for this 10,000 square mile area to think that there's that much food insecurity. And if you think about one in four and you see four children playing on a playground and you think that you know one of them might not be able to eat tonight. Obviously, you're going to see it in some different pockets, but I think what's happened during the pandemic is you're seeing hunger in every zip code. It could be your neighbor down the street. It could be your hairstylist. It could be um, your favorite waiter at your restaurant, people that would normally be able to make ends meet, but because of a sudden unemployment or lack of employment or underemployment, they're not able to now. They were able to make it week to week and make it, but what Research has shown us is that most families can't withstand a crisis of more than $400 without some help. Wow. Going forward. Okay, so we had the big surge of need at Thanksgiving. I don't think that was unique to Thanksgiving. I think it just shone a light on that need. So we've got Christmas coming up. We've got winter months. We've got still lots of businesses closed or reduced, uh, you know, revenue there, reduced hiring. How do you see the need going forward in the next six months? Uh, It's still going to be extremely high. As a matter of fact, a lot of it will be dependent on the government support during this time period. We are very concerned that much of the food support that we have received through COVID, all of that right now is scheduled to go away at the end of December. Plus, there were some programs that we had before COVID that are also scheduled to go away going into 2021. So currently, as it stands today, we will be receiving less government support in January than we were before COVID started. So, but we're, we're, we have double the needs in our community. And we're serving at almost twice the level that we were. So that's not sustainable. That's a, that's a huge food cliff for us to have to overcome. And even the federal government, USDA, some of the loads of food that were promised to us this year, they've had canceled. So the food growers and the food manufacturers, you know, we have about 200 truckloads of food that we were expecting from the government to be able to serve that have been canceled, that haven't come through. Now they're trying, they, they give us updates and they're trying to be able to get those reordered and they're trying to, to access some emergency food allocation resources and some different things, but that's food that we're not able to get out to people. And so this is impacting not just us, but so many food banks across the country. And we were told early on, whenever the pandemic hit, 
that we need to be prepared for at least two years of increased needs before the economic impact of the pandemic were to subside enough that we could sort of feel like we were quote unquote back to normal again. So we are looking right now because not only for food bank support is it going down, individual family support, there's not another stimulus package right now. There's not, has not been an increase in SNAP benefits, even though food costs have gone up dramatically, they, they have not increased SNAP benefits. And so families are having to try to make it on less resource, even if they needed help before, but even though the cost has gone up. So we see in our future, greater needs, not less needs. Well, Tricia, you've really been a wonderful interview, lots of information, lots of good resources, lots of uh, good discussion around the issue of greater needs. And that was exactly what I wanted to interview you about, because I want people to really understand the challenges that not only your community or my community, but, but many communities and probably all communities face going forward. And if they have the resources and ability, there are ways they can help meet those really basic needs. Because until you have the basic needs met, you can't move into the higher level, you know, educational blooms level of needs uh, that, you know, the pyramid of blooms versus the pyramid of Maslow's, you know, and you got to do Maslow's first. Yeah, you have to meet the basic needs for sure. And, you know, and that's something that, you know, that's what we're here to do. Food banks stand in the gap for people when they need a little extra help. And so as long as we have the resources and as long as we can, that's exactly what we're going to continue to do is to try to be able to fill that gap. But going forward in the future, we also hope to be able to partner with organizations that are also looking at those root cause issues of hunger. Because I believe if we can be more collaborative in some of our approaches and provide access to more of the basic needs and some of the clients in some of these programs that are addressing these root cause issues will be more successful as well, much like what we've seen in the education space. That's great. I, I mean, it does take a village <laughs> and not just food banks and not just education, but all those folks working together. And I've, you know, I had just a question here on partnerships, but you've, you've talked about that. And that's, I mean, that's what we really need to do in our communities. And that's what we've been working on here. And good for you for doing that there. Is there anything our listeners need to know that we haven't talked about? Yes, I would say one thing is you may have some listeners that maybe they need a little extra help. Uh, and I would say if they do, number one, reach out to your your local community pantry. If you don't know where that local community pantry is, go to your food bank and go to their website. Almost every food bank that I've ever seen, they have a map on their website that you can type in your zip code and you can find where your nearest pantry is. Or they will tell you when they're doing mobile distributions out in the community as well. There is no stigma attached to needing some help. And that's what the food banks are there for. They want to be able to help people and provide a little extra hope, especially during this holiday season. We just hope we can provide a little hope and light to those people that need it. And we know that that the needs are going to be there. And hopefully, whenever they get back on their feet, they're going to come back and they're going to volunteer and they're going to try to help someone else as well. Exactly. And if you're a college student, check with your college. There are resources there that a lot of students don't realize. And for those colleges who don't have them, maybe you can help start them there if you're if you're a student or a or a faculty or staff member there. 
Tricia, thank you so much. It's been great seeing you again. I haven't seen you in a couple of years, or at least not since last year. Uh, I will put a link to your website. I will put a link to your bio so you can read about all the awards that, that Tricia has won, not just recently, but over over her uh, you know time and in, in the amazing work that she's done both at TI. Leadership Women, and uh, now at the North Texas Food Bank. Tricia, thank you again for being on my podcast. It was my honor. And thank you for listening to Annette on Education.